you're seeing those images everywhere these days, and it seems like everyone is weighing in on them and um, attempting to frame how you view those things. And so today, we're going to ask, what does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about those people? We'll start with Moses. Moses' story starts on the run. He's fleeing for his life, crosses the border, heads into Midian, and winds up there for a long time, unable to go back home. He's there so long, he starts a family there. He spends years there. He's displaced, he's uneasy, he's out of sorts. He's, he's so long there, he has a son, and he names his son Gershom. You remember that? Gershom, which means refugee. Refugee. His experience as a stranger, as a refugee, has so defined Moses over these years that he names his son stranger, migrant, refugee. You don't hear the name Gershom a lot these days. You know, Lindsay and I are in the process of naming a baby boy here soon, and I'll be honest, Gershom has not made the short list. (laughs) Why is that? I wonder why. But Moses names his son Gershom. And this is the same Moses who does finally return to lead his fellow refugees out of Egypt and after a long time, finally back home. And as they sit overlooking home, overlooking the promised land, Moses, Gershom, and the rest of God's people, God at that moment speaks through Moses and says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial, takes no bribes, who executes justice for the orphan and for the widow, and who loves the strangers. That's that Gershom word there, ger for short. God who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing, and you shall also love the stranger For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. The Inns family, E-N-N-S, the Inns family, they knew trouble was coming. They were German Mennonites in Russia, late 19th century, and for years in Russia, those German Mennonites had been a protected group. In fact, they were invited to Russia because they were good farmers, simple people, really faithful Christians, no trouble at all, so Russia invited them to spark the economy to provide food for their masses. But late in the 19th century, for reasons that are really hard to determine, Russia decided to lift that protection of German Mennonites. And then Russian troops began this brutal campaign of robbery and rape and murder against those German Mennonites. So the Inns family, German Mennonites, knew trouble was coming. They just didn't have anywhere else to go. So one day these Russian mobs pour onto their little Mennonite farm, storm the farmhouse, and in ways I can't describe here begin to brutalize the Inns family. And so their youngest son, Isaac Peter, who's just a teenager at the time, takes off through the back door barefoot and runs through the snow and into the cold night. Never sees his family again. 
He eventually makes it to a harbor, and he stows away on this ship that's bound for New York City, of all places. And about halfway through the journey, the captain discovers him hiding out amongst the luggage and threatens to throw him overboard. But for some reason, he's moved by compassion, and so he lets Isaac Peter stay and work for his passage across the oceans to New York City. He eventually makes it to New York, and he goes through Ellis Island. And not long ago, my mom found his name there in the logbooks at Ellis Island. She was looking for it because Isaac Peter Inns is my great, great, grandfather, not that long ago, a refugee, a migrant. And in our text today, the word is stranger. Okay, Though there's debate today, you've probably been hearing it, about the difference between a migrant and a refugee. If we're, if we're talking about what does the Bible say about this, let me point out, biblically, there's no difference between the two. Whether you're displaced by war or violence or poverty, the Bible makes no distinction. It's just stranger, one word in the Old Testament. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who's not partial, who takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. And you shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Isaac, Peter never forgot home. His sister wrote to him a few years later, and she said, Miss Wiebe has died, too. When the migration took place, she wanted to go to America, but now she's in a better place than America. Now she doesn't have to go through the famine and the misery that we've had to. For the last years, we've gone through so much, but this year's the worst. Many people will die. There's nothing we can buy. The potatoes cost 40 rubles. There's no grain. Please send us flour and bacon and sugar. We haven't butchered hogs for three years. Every winter I'm sick from hunger and I crave everything to eat. We got no money for grain. Isaac never forgot him. Even in all those years, never forgot how far away from home he was. But I reckon I have. I reckon I have. I don't think about Isaac Peter often. Now, I'm not the first to experience memory loss, to suffer from this. I'm not the first to experience a case of identity amnesia. If there's any comfort from this text in Deuteronomy today, that's it. A reminder that, Eric, hey, at least you're not the first. Because just before Israel walks into the promised land, after 400 years of being exiles and refugees and strangers, God seems to think they are already forgetting all of that. Even though that's just a few years behind them at this point, God sees fit to speak through Moses right then and remind Israel, hey, treat migrants well, because, well, you were migrants too. Don't forget it. And I'm a God who loves migrants. It's really not complex. It should be easy to remember. Israel survived when they were refugees because God had hospitality on them. So Israel, pay it forward and have hospitality, show hospitality to any strangers, refugees that you find. It's not complex. It should be easy to remember. But it's not exactly convenient either, and 
And maybe that's why God's afraid they're already forgetting. Already forgetting where they came from. Maybe that's why I seem to forget the story of Isaac Peter. Maybe that's why God keeps bringing up this whole stranger business. Not once or twice in the Bible, 92 times in the Old Testament alone. 92 times. It's like he knows something, God. That if we forget who we are, if we forget where we came from, you know, if we forget that we enjoy safety and full bellies because at some point someone was a stranger and someone else welcomed them in, if we forget that when we were dipped into the water of baptism like a family is going to be here at the end of this sermon, if we forget that when we were dipped into that water that we emerged as aliens and strangers in the world, spiritual refugees longing for a better country, a heavenly one, Hebrews tells us. If we forget that, then we look at other strangers differently. And we think, like the kindergarten rhyme, stranger danger. Instead of, I don't know, stranger Jesus. You remember Jesus who said, I was a stranger, a xenos is the word, a foreigner, a migrant, an alien, a refugee, a stranger. Same word. I was one of those. And you welcomed me in. Memory loss, memory loss is a vicious thing. You know, so many of you can attest to that in your families. But God seems to be saying something different with all of these reminders about who we are. That memory loss is a vicious thing, but this kind of memory loss, forgetting who you are, makes you vicious people. People who resist the inconvenient responsibility of welcoming refugees and strangers because we conveniently forget we were once and are still, according to God, in their shoes. If you've been paying attention lately, you've seen this. Convenient amnesia, convenient memory loss. You've seen it in the news. So just a few weeks ago, Hungary finished a 108-mile-long barbed wire fence that stretches across their border with Serbia, a fence designed to, to, to stop the flood of immigrants that are pouring into Hungary and then into the European Union. They have every right to do that, but there's just a bit of irony there along the fence. Because the people who voted for it, the people who built it, and the people standing there guarding it, well, at one point, they or their families were refugees. It was 1951, and a delegation from all over the world, 26 countries, gathered in Geneva, Switzerland. The topic of conversation was, what are we going to do with all these people displaced by World War II? Millions of people, biggest refugee crisis since Till today. Okay. What are we going to do with all of these people displaced by World War II? It took them three weeks. Okay. Legal wrangling, really tough conversation, heated debate, as it's been described. But in the end, the convention relating to the status of refugees gave a definition of what a refugee is and determined that a nation cannot legally send a refugee back home. Can't do it. So nobody knew in 1951 what they were committing themselves to at the time. There was no way to know what kind of horrors would unfold in the years to come. 
There was no way to know what kind of need there would be, crisis there would be all around the world in the years to come. They just knew this is something we have to do. We can't not do this. So five years later, just five years after 1951, a civil war breaks out in Eastern Europe. And almost overnight, a country is torn apart. Hundreds of thousands of people are displaced, many killed. Over Overnight, 200,000 people become refugees. That country? Hungary. The very first country to experience a refugee crisis and depend upon the hospitality of other nations to receive hundreds of thousands of their people after the 1951 convention was none other than the nation that just built a 108-mile-long fence along its border to keep other refugees out. If I was going to subtitle that picture that you saw a second ago, I would subtitle it Memory Loss, Convenient Amnesia. For the Lord your God loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing, and so you shall also love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. That feeling in your stomach right now, that's righteous indignation, I think. It's the same feeling that welled up inside of you when you saw the pictures of that little three-year-old boy with his black Velcro sneakers still on his feet, washed up on that Turkish beach, lifeless. His father shared the story about how their boat had overturned, and he had, he had hung on to the side of that overturned boat, holding Ilan and his brother and his mom, until one by one they passed away and were lost to the ocean. They fled to save their lives, and their lives were taken anyway. The only response is righteous indignation, right? Why were they on that boat, we say? Why is this war in Syria still going on? Why can't they just walk through the border gates into the open arms of friendly people? Why hasn't every church in Europe, like the Pope asked of them, taken a refugee family in? Why? Righteous indignation just washes over us. But here's what I know, based on this passage today. The indignation, anger, without Memory will not produce love for the stranger. It just won't do it. These words in Deuteronomy from God, you shall love the stranger for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. These words, look at them, are equal parts command and reminder, aren't they? Love them because you needed love. Rescue them because you needed rescue. It's like God knows that anger, even righteous, holy indignation, without an awareness of who we are in God, will not change a thing in this world. And this world needs changing. 200,000 dead in Syria, 12 million displaced, 4 million crossing borders like the ones that Ilan did, boarding sinking rafts, trying to find holes in 108-mile-long fences. This world needs changing. Think about this. Strangers, not very far from the land of Egypt, still need love. Think about that. So in the spirit of a God who says, love the stranger for you are strangers, a God about reminders, let's stop for a second, look to the Bible, and let God remind us who we are. 
Our identity as Christians, Christians, think about the word, is wrapped up in the identity of the one who bore that title first, Jesus the Christ. That's the title we take on when we're baptized into this water. Christ means king, Messiah. It's a title of power, but think about this. It's given to a man who gives up all power. It's given to a God who sacrifices his own comfort, his own security, and leaves his home to come and rescue us. A God who's then born in a stable to parents who are already displaced from their home by a Roman census. And from the moment of his first breath, the Lord tells Jesus and his family, get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, cross the border, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for that child to destroy him. We have Jesus, the refugee. Jesus, the one that we follow, the one that we are baptized into, can't go home. In Luke 4, Jesus tries to go home. Do you remember what happens? The people in his hometown take him to the edge of a cliff and try to push him off. And he has to run for his life. He's born a refugee. He spends his life in exile. And the book of Hebrews tells us he dies that way too. Jesus suffered outside the city, it says, bearing disgrace till the end. So when Jesus says in Matthew that I was a stranger and you welcomed me in, it is not just symbolic. The man was a stranger every day of his life, even to death. Jesus, the refugee Christ, the exiled king. So to those who follow him, to to those like this family who are about to be baptized here in a few minutes, those who dare to take on the title of Christian, the invitation is not to power. Let's be real for a second. The invitation is not to security or to safety. The invitation is, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. For here we have no lasting city, for we are looking for a city that is to come. You see, whether your story, your story, is like mine or not, whether you have an ancestor who fled to this country for fear for their lives, and many of you probably do, okay? Whether you're related to a refugee by blood matters very little because the blood of Christ has marked you as a refugee, as an alien and stranger in the world. And don't forget it. It is not anger or even compassion that should move us to respond to this crisis. It's solidarity. Those people are our people. So you might be thinking, well, goodness, Eric, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. That's a long way from Syria. This is the home of Elvis, you know. Syria's way over there. So what I've done on the back of the link, if you have a link, if you haven't grabbed one, you can grab one on your way out today. On the back, with the help of the staff, I've got a list of resources there. There's a book, there's some articles, a podcast, and there's two links to different organizations that are working in this crisis. And I want to talk about one of them that's here in Memphis. The other is in Arkansas, not far away. Most importantly of all those, number one, I want you to visit this week, wewelcomerefugees.com. You'll see an image behind me. This is from the homepage of that website. 
Let me tell you a little bit about this. You can pick up more information at the Go Center about We Welcome Refugees. So this website was started by World Relief. So in America, when a refugee makes it to America, the federal government relocates them. Okay, they, they come through the federal government, they're relocated. The federal government does that through eight or nine organizations in America, placing them in different cities. In Memphis, there's only one organization that relocates uh, refugees, and that organization is World Relief. It happens to be one of the best. It's a Christian organization. I'm really impressed with their leadership. So every month, they receive refugee families, World Relief, and place them in homes and different locations around the city, and then take care of them for their first uh, few months and even years while they're here. Okay, so I met with them last week, two weeks ago, and they are currently receiving Syrian refugee families. The federal government is moving towards receiving more Syrians. So what that means is that in Memphis, Tennessee, within three or four miles of your house, there will probably be a Syrian refugee family, if not already, very soon. Okay, And so on this website, you can find a list of ways that you can help. All right. They have, you can buy cleaning supplies for these families. You can even deliver them yourselves. You can buy bathroom supplies, household supplies. And I was stunned to find out. I thought, man, I would love to pay for a refugee family to just come to America. And I thought, man, that's got to be $10,000, $15,000. It's subsidized. So it only costs $1,500. And you or your reach group or your Sunday school class could pay for a family to come from Syria to Memphis, Tennessee. That's crazy. Like, you're seeing these images on the news every day, and you're like, what can I possibly do? Well, you can take them from there to here, and you can receive them. And if you do, I'd love to know about it, not because I want to publicize your name, but I'd love to be able to share with this church that we loved strangers because we're strangers. In this series, Monday Morning Faith, what we're talking about are major issues that your faith intersects and exploring how they do. So Monday morning, you're going to be wondering, what does my faith have to say about these images I'm seeing on the news? Well, you were a stranger, so love the stranger. If you haven't taken on the Lord in baptism, this exile Christ, I'd encourage you to come down here. Buster and Michelle, two of our staff members, will be down front. They'd be glad to receive you. I'm going to head to the back because we have a family um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about them in the baptistry, but have decided that they want to take on this identity as aliens and strangers in the world. And knowing that it doesn't mean safety and security, it means salvation. Thanks be to God for that. Will you stand and sing with me? Holy, holy, ah.